Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the uh, Merciful Servants of God um, biblical instructional program. Uh, Happy Shabbat to those who keep it for Sabbath. And uh, there's some serious things that I want to talk about first before I get into the Bible study today, which is um, about the importance of community, which many Americans uh, don't seem to understand or care about and around the world for that. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, people around the world don't really understand what community is all about. It's about uh, caring about one another and being concerned about your neighbor and making sure that your neighbor has what he or she needs to survive. And uh, we have forgotten that in this 21st century of materialism and pleasure-seeking and so forth. So I'm going to talk about that today, but um, what's going on in this country right now is just ridiculous uh, with this debt ceiling situation with Obama and Boehner going at each other like little kids and not being able to to really understand why we're in this situation. I mean, it, it's very simple. Uh, we're in debt. We, our account, when we compare it to other countries, according to the Central Intelligence um, website, is the CIA fact book, a world book, is uh, the worst out of all countries around the world. Uh, we are the world's largest uh, debtor nation. We owe more than anyone else. Uh, I was just reading an article by Ron Paul that I'm going to analyze uh, before I talk about it in detail, but our really our total debt right now is $200 trillion, folks. $200 trillion. We're not going to get out of debt anytime soon with that type of debt. And I don't know if any of you can comprehend how much debt that is, but that's a lot of debt. So um, to go and tell the American public if we don't increase the debt ceiling, we're going to be in trouble. Well, true, we'll be in trouble, but we're already in trouble. And, of course, the Obama administration and other past administrations have not really told the American public what our real situation is right now. And let me just simplify it. We, because of our collective sense, um, 
in this country in particular. Uh, we are cursing ourselves. Um, the recent curses now with the weather. This whole country right now is suffering from a heat wave that I can't recall the last time I experienced it in my 45 years of life. And based on the Watch.org website, and he has links to go to articles if you don't believe what I'm telling you, uh, it's going to continue on for several weeks unless a miracle happens and God has mercy, which he tends to do on occasion. Um, I'm not surprised this is happening um, based on uh, what happened uh, the previous day. I think it was yesterday when they announced that uh, gay and lesbians can openly declare with pride that they're gay or lesbian and be in the army. Um, previous to that, I think the, the following day, or they were arguing in court, in, in Congress rather, uh, to do away with the very biblical and logical law that man created of defending marriage, which is between a man and a woman. It's not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. I don't care how anyone wants to justify that uh, <laughs> that abominable institution, according to what God says, uh, is not right. And as I explained to my uh, my family and anyone else that wishes to to want to learn how to think reasonably about this, uh, fact number one: in the beginning, God created male and female. He didn't create two males and two females. Number two, He commanded them to to procreate to populate the earth. To multiply. Two men and two women can't multiply the earth by having sex with each other. Okay? Let's let's understand that. That's common sense. And then even break it down further. A male produces a sperm or a sperm comes from a male. An ovum comes from a female. You need those two items to produce an embryo which is a human being according to the Bible. I don't care what scientists and anyone else states. An embryo is a human being. So, those are the facts. And on top of that, how, if you call yourself Christian and you support homosexual and gay marriage, uh, and lesbian marriage, how can, in that situation, how can kids who have gay parents, how can they really obey that commandment, the fifth commandment, where it says, honor your father and your mother? If there's two mothers and two fathers, they're disobeying the commandment. You know, th th this is so common sense. You don't even need the Bible to understand that this is wrong. Okay? But the Bible confirms that it's wrong. And society, the fact that there's AIDS and, you know, you have all the gays arguing, well, uh, AIDS is not caused uh, by homosexual activity. Well, I say to you, nay, uh, there's plenty of reports online and verifiable reports that prove, yes, it is. It only confirms what God states uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter 18, that when you do that kind of abomination, uh, you you harm your own body. You harm your own body. So anyway, I'm going to quote a scripture again uh, about this, and I, I've talked about this uh, several times because I need to. It's getting to be a serious problem here. It, it all started last month with the United Nations stating that it's okay uh, to be gay and don't discriminate against any gays and lesbians. Now, see, 
you know, what's going on right now? The devil's being slick, as he usually is, and he's influencing people who aren't close to God to think that the gay and lesbian issue is a civil rights issue. Okay? Well, and that's the case. Let's make a civil rights issue uh, alcoholism. Let's let's say, hey, everyone has a right to be drunk, right? Everyone has a right to be drunk. Everyone has a right to, to, to drive behind the wheel and be drunk, right? And then on top of that, let's go ahead and make uh, a civil right for you to have sex with animals. Let's do that too, okay? And then let, let, let's also have a civil right to, to be on drugs too anytime you want to be. To fire up heroin and, and, and crack and, and uh, marijuana anytime you want, right? And then on top of that, let's make it a civil right to uh, be perverts and um, have sex with little teenagers and little girls and boys, okay? Let's let that be a civil right as well. Let it be a civil right for someone to go out and just kill anybody when they feel like it for no reason. Let it be a civil right for somebody just to take someone, cut them up, and eat them up. Let that be a civil right, too. I'm going to go on and on and on, okay? All right, the reason why I'm saying this is because we have to draw the line somewhere. There is right and there is wrong. Being gay is wrong, according to the Bible. And according to common sense, and you know it, if you really want to use your brain properly, you know it. Okay? A society cannot be built with two men being married and two women being married. It's impossible. When two men desire children and they're married and they call themselves husband and husband was an abomination. Okay? First of all. Um, they, what, what must they do? Well, uh, we gotta find a woman so that uh, you know I gotta masturbate, you know, and give sperm to the nurse, and then the nurse has to put the sperm in the woman. So, you know, here we go. If you want kids being gay, you can't avoid the issue of if you're two males, you gotta have a female ovum, and if you're two what women, you got to have the sperm, right? So that should tell you, too, if you're gay, listen to me, that should tell you right there, uh, I can't avoid this issue. I can't avoid this issue. If I want to procreate, I have to do it the way it's supposed to be done, naturally. Even though scientists are trying to, you know, but see, they're trying to pervert that, too. But naturally, no human being can be created. And let me point again, naturally. <laughs> they can't be created unless... The ovum meets the sperm, and they form an embryo. That's a scientific fact. I don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to understand that, and neither do you. Okay? Let's turn to Leviticus. And I'm going to use this new translation that I think everyone's going to enjoy who speaks English. It's called the Common English Bible. And it's online right now, matter of fact, if you want to go to it. It's www.commonenglishbible.com. And it's a wonderful translation. It's not perfect, but uh, I think it's comparable with the King James Version. And, it, and perhaps it's better than the King James Version. I'm still analyzing, and I know one minister stated that it is. And I'm just, uh, I don't believe everything people tell me, so I'm looking at it myself. And uh, But I'm impressed by the translation. I really am. Uh, Leviticus, chapter 18. And I'll be with you here in a minute. Let's type it in here. 
Okay. Leviticus chapter 18. Verse 22. Now, this is an excellent translation, like I said. It makes it a lot clearer because in the, in the King James Version, it says, you should not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Now, in this translation, it's a lot clearer. You must not have sexual intercourse with a man as you would with a woman. Boy, that's clear, isn't it? It is a detestable practice. So, uh, when you read this in the, in, in the King James Version, it gives gays and lesbians wiggle room to try to say, oh, it's not saying what it's saying. It says lie. No, this is pretty clear right here. Very clear. This is the intent of the scripture. It says, you must not have sexual intercourse with a man as you would with a woman. It is a detestable practice. Okay? Now, he links this with bestiality, which I hope most people understand is wrong. Uh, you will not have sexual relations with any animal, becoming unclean by it. Nor will a woman present herself before an animal to make to mate with it. It isn't a perversion. And unfortunately, folks, that kind of perversion is going on as I'm speaking. They have Internet websites showing horses having sex with women. And I'm not going to tell you what the women do to them, their, their organs. But anyway, all, all I'm saying is it's just perversion all over the place that God prophesied through the prophet Moses. That was going back. Obviously, that kind of mess was going on back then. It's still going on today. Verse 24, do not make yourselves unclean, gays. Lesbians, this is what you do when you do this abomination. Do not make yourselves unclean in any of these things because this is how the nations that I am throwing out before you became unclean. So this is not just an Israelite problem. This is a problem that's worldwide, folks. Verse 23. That is also how the land became unclean or the environment because the land is linked with your environment, right? And I held it liable for punishment, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. And this is in the New uh, Common English Bible. Verse 26. But all of you must keep my rules and my regulations. Oh, that's interesting. I hammered that in my son over and over again, rules and regulations. And it has it in the Common English Bible. But anyway. You must not do any of these detestable things, neither citizen nor immigrant who lives with you. Because the people who had the land before you did all these detestable things and the land became unclean, or the environment, which the land is a part of, right? Verse 28, so that the land does not vomit you out because you have made it unclean, just as it had vomited out the nations that were before you. Now, I want you to understand the juxtaposition here, or the he's, he's, he's talking about the nations, and he's talking about Israel. There's no difference. When you violate this law, it affects the nations or Israel, both, okay? So you can't just say, oh, this, this law is just for Israel. People always try to, you know, the commandments are oh, just for Israel. Yes, sir, some laws are specifically for Israel, like the priests. You can't, you have to be a priest to uh, sacrifice, okay? We understand that. Uh, for uh, the administration um Laws in Leviticus for a woman. You can't be a man and obey that, right? You're a woman, right? Okay. So, yeah, there's certain laws that you can't obey because it's not meant for you. But these laws, as far as involving society, it applies to everybody. 
And when you're going around, it's like I saw this one uh, black senator. And I was very disappointed. You ought to know better. Okay? Trying to apply the civil rights movement to homosexuality. Saying, you know, there was white, it was a bathroom saying for whites or for blacks and all that. That This is, has nothing to do with the civil right, which the Bible, of course, endorses of all types of races to have the same rights to eat, to work, etc. Okay? This has nothing to do with the abominable desire to want to, to have sex with your own sex and even on top of that thinking you can have kids and raise them. That's not a civil right according to God. You have no right to destroy his creation. There's no right when it, it hurts other people. That's what we have forgotten. Okay? You're hurting other people, gays and lesbians, when you want to marry within yourselves. You're harming other people and you're harming yourself. And you're harming other people also by encouraging other people, influencing them to do that. What if everyone was gay around the world? How would anyone live? No one would be able to live. There would be no more procreation, and that's what the devil wants. He wants to destroy society. That's what he wants to do. And the homosexuality thing what it is an affront to God, and it tells him that you don't want the human race to survive. And two men and two women having sex with each other will cause that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just trying to explain this as, as clearly as I can using what I believe may be a better translation than the King James Version so far, the Common English Bible. I mean, just the fact that it that defines homosexuality that clear in the Bible tells you that this is a pretty good translation here. Verse 29, anyone who does any of these detestable things will be cut off from their people. And that's what should happen. Well, gay, gays and lesbians, you know, according to what the Bible says. You know, we cut off people who are alcoholics, right? What do we do? We send them to rehabilitation centers, right? We cut off people who are drug addicts, right? We send them to, what I mean by cut off, uh, we we don't allow them to be back in society until they are cured of their problem, right? That's the same thing that we ought to do with gays and lesbians. You know, the, the military used to state that it's a mental problem, and it is a mental problem. Uh, and then, of course, they got rid of it. Then, of course, uh, yesterday they said, oh, it's okay to be gay. You can announce to the world and, and, and you're in the military that you're gay and lesbian and be proud about it, you know. Well, God is not proud about it at all. Matter of fact, he's not. he doesn't have pride. He's humble. And he teaches us to be humble. And don't be surprised, folks by anything that's going to happen to this country here, all right? These weather problems will continue. We're going to have another hurricane season. And, you know, he's been having mercy here these past couple of years, I think. Uh, don't be surprised if he doesn't have mercy this year based on what's going on. Number two, um, we are fighting against God himself when we're trying to overrule something that God, I believe, inspired President Clinton and his administration to, to enforce. The defense of marriage. Yes, the, the the institution of marriage definitely needs to be defended. It definitely needs to be defended. <laughs> and to overturn that, you're, you're you're sticking your finger up God's face. 
when you're doing that. And God don't like that. You don't ever want to challenge him, folks. Okay, and you're challenging him. You're saying, hey, I don't want the human race to continue on. That's what you're actually saying when you endorse homosexuality. Because how can two men and two women procreate, folks? They can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay. So let, let's use, it's not a civil right to be homosexual, according to God. Okay. And that deception, that ignorant deception, I would say, needs to stop. You can't associate the, the gay rights movement with civil rights movement, uh, blacks being beat, treated like animals when they're human beings, etc., that that has nothing to do with a civil right, folks. Think, let's think clearly, okay? All right, uh, verse 30. You must keep my requirement of not doing any of these detestable practices that were done before you arise so that you don't make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. This is not Canard speaking. This is the Lord your God speaking to you. I'm just a tool that he's using to speak his words. And God is saying that being a homosexual is unclean. All right? So that is God's word. And you say, well, Jesus didn't say it. Yes, he did. Look, you took it Matthew chapter 19. Let's go over that again. Let's look over it in the complete. Because I'm tired of people thinking that Jesus was gay or, you know, that, that's ridiculous. Jesus was not gay, folks. <laughs> so let's let's get that foolishness out, first of all. All right? And uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. When Jesus finished saying these things, he left Galilee and came to the area of Judea, that's the West Bank today, on the east side of the Jordan. I'm reading the new common English Bible that will be out uh, in book form in September. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. They said, does the law allow a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Because that's what they were doing back then. Verse 4, Jesus answered, haven't you read that at the beginning... The Creator made them male and female. So what does uh, Yeshua or Jesus do? He goes back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. Okay? What I like about this version, too, it gives you the the uh, the Old Testament scriptures that were quoted. Because there were many Old Testament scriptures or Tanakh scriptures that Yeshua or Jesus and the apostles referred to. To prove that they didn't think that the uh, the law was nailed to the cross like many Christians believe today. Verse 5, And God said, Because of this, a man should leave his father and mother. Does it say that he should leave his father and father and mother and mother? No. His father and mother, and be joined together with his wife, which proves he's talking about marriage. And the two will be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. And that's sort of a prophecy in a sense, because... That's what we're doing today. It's like whenever God says we shouldn't do something, we do the opposite. Okay? And that's what we're doing today. We're pulling apart what God has put together. That's what politicians are trying to do in Congress. That's what activist groups like the uh, American Civil Liberties Union are trying to do. Uh, there's other groups that are trying to do that. They're trying to pull apart what God has put together, and that's an affront to God. You can't pull apart what he's put together. How dare you try to do that? You know, God don't like that. 
And he's going to let you know, and he is. All right, so let's understand. Let's understand that Yeshua does not believe, Jesus does not believe that marriage is between two males and two females. And you can use Matthew chapter 19 to prove that he doesn't because he referred back to the Genesis account. And for those who think he changed the law, he would have changed that one too. Okay? All right, so that's enough of that. Um, you know, if if our leaders don't wake up, folks, and I can't tell you how, can't tell you when, to one extent, but God is going to let us know that he doesn't like it. He already is with this tremendous heat wave. And, it, and, and it's not surprising to me that he's using heat to help us understand what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He used fire, right, to destroy, right? So he's heating up this country. Uh, Obama the other day, uh, he's fighting against the Offensive Marriage Act, and then all of a sudden the next day Washington was 116 degrees. Or it may have happened around the same time he said it. But anyway, God, folks, knows what's going on. You can't hide anything from him. We can't hide our behavior from him. And he punishes us based on our behavior. That's what he does. And we, we've got to stop this behavior. we got to stop this. It's causing this, this country to be on the verge of a Great Depression. As many people already think we're in the beginning stages of the Great Depression. I, I agree. We are. But I'm talking about to the point. Uh, see, one of the things Obama said that 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 should cause alarm here. And I'm addressing this because I have to. This is a very serious situation, folks. Um, 11 o'clock today, they're going to talk. You know, they're going to do their shenanigans or whatever, and hopefully they'll be able to, to come up with something. Okay. Now, but if they don't come, he said it's already too late. That's what he said yesterday. All right. Um, so if it's already too late, why is he calling me? I don't understand that. But that's what he said. Okay. So 11 o'clock. Is supposed to sit down, and he's going to ask him, well, how are we going to avoid uh, default? Default meaning we can't pay our bills. Plain and simple as that. Uh, prior to this problem, we were paying our bills through printing money out of thin air. In other words, to getting into more debt. This is similar to a situation where you know, you're know you getting more credit cards. You use you max those out, and you get more credit cards. You max those out. You're not paying your debt off and that's what we've been doing for years all right and now obama needs another credit card so he's asking the american public and and congress can i have another credit card so i can max that one out we can't continue to keep on doing this as i told you we're already we're way above you're talking about 14 this is fiscally as far as on an annual basis uh we are way over our heads 200 trillion dollars in debt. Okay? The problem is that we're spending money that we don't have. This happened to Rome, it will happen to us. Even if the debt ceiling is increased, it's still going to cause a problem. It's going to devalue the dollar, the dollar, make it less valuable, and eventually countries are going to use another currency. So it's only going to delay the inevitable anyway. All right. Now, of course, if it is, if there is a default, it's going to, yeah, 
Either way, we're going to suffer, folks. It's just that the way Obama is proposing and in his administration, and some Democrats, and some Democrats don't, don't want to do this, um, it's only going to delay the inevitable. It's kind of like if you have a wound, right, and you don't patch it up all the way, you just patch up a little bit of it and it's still bleeding. Well, that's that's what he's proposing right now. Um Finally, not spending money you don't have and just addressing the fact that we're in debt and getting out of debt is the better option. That's just common sense. So, you know, like folks like Ron Paul, who's running for president right away, that understands the economy probably better than Bernanke, um, the, the Fed chief, um, he's stating that we should default. Sure, there's going to be some pain, but it's necessary pain, uh, and we need to, to uh, cut down our expenses and and start to pay back our debt, which I agree we should. That's that's what somebody on an individual or or microeconomic basis or socioeconomic basis would do. They would look at their debt situation and say, hey, um, I'm way over my head here. Let me cut back. Let me, you know, if I have to file bankruptcy to do whatever I got to do to get my, my house in order, my financial house in order. And that's what the United States needs to do. But more important than that, we need to, to go back to the Bible, and we need to understand what God says, how we should handle our money, how we should give to the poor, etc. What should the rich do, etc. That's what we should do. But I don't know if Obama or anyone there in Congress is willing to do that. And as long as we have this attitude of, well, we're righteous people, and yet we don't show it through our works and, and what we do, this nation is going to continue to suffer. Plain and simple as that. So we're going to have to make some hard decisions here, and I hope that God is with Obama and the administration today, and they make a wise decision in the direction of this country. Now, based on what he said yesterday, he said that if this country or Congress can't make up their mind, then we're going to default and he can't guarantee the social security checks. Not only will he it appears that any federal government program is threatened as far as money being distributed. That's the gist of what I got. He said veterans in uh, any kind of federal back program there could be a delay of payment. This could include financial aid payments for students. Uh of course, unemployment benefits. This is going to be catastrophic, folks. So we need to be praying for our leadership because 70 million checks could be delayed. And he said, can, can you think of what that could do to the economy? It, it, it'll it'll break this. It can probably cause riots. I mean, people, I tell you one thing, you don't want to mess with folks. When it comes down to the money, you do not want to mess with the money. Because it calls people to go crazy that aren't close to God, like they should be. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in this country and around the world that aren't really close to God like they should. Money is their God. And and uh, I'm just telling you folks, you know, <laughs> we, ne- we better pray for God's mercy. Because, you know, God does state in his word in James that his mercy can run out if we don't have mercy. And right now, we need to be praying that God has mercy. Because 
if that mercy runs out, folks, you you you're gonna think the Great Depression back in the 1930s was something. This this Great Depression would be incomprehensible. Un- okay, and uh, not scaring you. Well, I am scaring you, but in the right way. Let's get it together. If we can't influence uh, collectively our leaders to think sensibly, then you must learn how to think sensibly individually and try to influence as many people as you can in your community and your neighbors to start thinking right, think, start thinking straight. Don't vote for these these folks that aren't going to do anything. I don't vote. The reason why I don't vote is because there's nobody that I know of, no politician, none that I know of, that would follow the Torah, that would obey God fully. So I'm not going to support anyone that is not going to support God and do what God says. I would vote for Yeshua. <laughs> I'd vote for somebody that I knew would not deviate from God's Torah as a politician. I don't know anyone else. If you know someone, give me a call or email me. I'd like to know who that is. I don't know who it is. Truly. So anyway, that is uh, what's going on right now. We're having tremendous uh, weather problems here. Uh, please pray for the people. I don't think the, the president, uh, I haven't heard him mention anything about the poor people in Norway. Uh, there was an explosion, and this person went nuts, uh, killing almost 90 people, uh, kids and mothers i think or whatever and in a park and it was just ridiculous so but i did read in the story and watch.org that the government the norwegian government wants a palestinian state they desire a palestinian state and here we go again mucking around with uh jerusalem and and, and messing around with god's land there you know whenever some nation boldly says that they are against israel they get cursed so I'm not surprised that happened either. You know, we got to stop messing around with God, folks. I mean, we, you, just, you don't want to mess with God. You're messing with somebody you're never going to beat. You're messing with somebody who created you. You didn't create him. And we got to stop acting like we created him. I mean, many people, especially atheists, believe that we did create God. <laughs> that the Bible is just uh, an imagination or something. But it's not. It's real, and everything that it says is going to happen is happening, folks. All right, so I, I spoke uh, quite a bit about that. I'm going to try to summarize the uh, Torah readings here um, for lack of time because i got other scriptures that I want to cover this important in light of this financial situation. Uh, for the Torah section, we're going to cover Numbers 30, verse 2, to Numbers 32, verse 42, and I'm going to summarize it again. I think many of you probably like the, the summary, you know. Let's see. Um, here's uh, courtesy of Chabad.org. I'm using their, their summary again. I uh, just want to give them credit as I'm supposed to. Uh, Moses conveys the laws governing the annulment of vows to the heads of the tribes of Israel. Wars waged against Midian for their role in plotting the moral destruction of Israel. And the Torah gives a detailed account of the war spoils or the the items that you gain from war, and how they were allocated among the people, the warriors, the Levites, and the high priests. The tribes of Reuben and Gad, later joined by half, by half of the tribe of Manasseh, asked for the lands east of the Jordan as their portion in the promised land. 
these being prime pasture land for their cattle. Moses is initially angered by the by the request, but subsequently agrees on the condition that they first join and lead in Israel's conquest of the lands west of the Jordan. So I'm going to quote from this book, an excellent book that I suggest you get, Gateways to the Torah. It's, it's written by a Messianic Jew, in other words, a Jew who believes that Yeshua is the Messiah. And has a nice section on this Torah portion, uh, Numbers 30, verse 2 to 32, verse 42, the bond of community. And he writes here, What holds a nation together? The Torah, this is on page 181 of this book, the Torah is among many other things a book about nationhood and how it works. And this is by Rabbi Russell Resnick. Yeah, Resnick. The formation of Adat Yisrael or the Congregation of Israel, which congregation really means church, the assembly, and the rules and customs that are, govern, are to govern it has implications for Israel as a nation today and for other nations, organizations, communities, and even families as well. So this is for everyone. The tribes of Reuben and Gad come to Moses with a request for land on the east side of the Jordan, land outside the boundaries promised to the children of Israel. Reuben and Gad appear to be motivated by the bottom line. They saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, it was a place for livestock. The land is rich and abundant. Here, the two tribes can pursue their livelihood with a great prospect for success. Reuben and Gad were thinking of community as primarily a setting for success and prosperity, as many people do today, especially in this country. Such a vision seems to be triumphant in our day as political ideologies disintegrate under the pressures of the global marketplace, as they are today. In Israel, the old Zionist ideals seem to have given way to the urge to join the ranks of stable capitalist uh, democracies. Moses reminds the two tribes and us that true community and true nationhood is founded on something more profound. God has commanded Israel to take possession of the land beyond the Jordan. The community of Israel is held together by more than a shared desire for the good life. Rather, it shares in an assignment from God. The promised land is more than a nice place to raise a family. Rather, it is the inheritance of Israel forever, a place from which God will display his goodness and authority to all nations. There may have been other lands readily available for settlement that would have met Israel's physical needs, but the story of the exodus from Egypt must end not just in national liberation, but in Ezra's Yezreel, the place of divine destiny. This shared destiny implies a shared assignment. Only if the two tribes will join in the conquest of the promised land will they be given land east of the Jordan. The tribes announced that this was their intention all along. They say that they will build enclosures for our livestock and cities for our children and then join the rest of Israel in conquering the promised land. Rashi, the great rabbi, uh, comments, uh, some of his comments do make sense, uh, they were more concerned for their property than for their sons and daughters, for they mentioned their livestock before their children. And unfortunately, parents today are like that. They're more concerned about their possessions than their children, unfortunately. But anyway, Moses said to them, this is not right. Put the first things first and the secondary second. Priorities. First, build cities for your children and then make pens for your livestock. Greed gets in the way of the greater vision that holds community together. When we reduce community to a venue for material advancement, we lose it together. And that's what's going on right now. In this country, we are using community for a venue for material advancement. And that's why we're losing it together as a nation. If we shrink from the shared assignment, we lose the shared destiny. 
In the midst of these negotiations, a third party joins Reuben and Gad to have tribe of Manasseh. Their sudden appearance in the story is a bit puzzling, and various explanations have been proposed. Since perhaps the most likely explanation is that Manasseh's involvement serves to bind Reuben and Gad to the rest of Israel. Tor places a great emphasis on the wholeness and integrity of each tribe. If one tribe settles partly west of the Jordan and partly to the east, it binds together the two sides of the river into one community. It provides a conduit for the greater holiness of Israel to influence the land to the east. So anyway, that's the lesson that should be learned out of this. Um, that community is very important. I'm going to go into further detail uh, using the Renewed Covenant Scriptures or the New Testament. That's what it's called, but it's a Renewed Covenant. And um, we're going to go into further detail. And then we're going to go and study the Hattorah section of the, of the Scriptures here. So let's turn to that and the summary, and then we'll probably read this because it's not too much. Let me see how much time I got left. Uh, yeah, I got plenty of time left. All right. It says uh, this week's Haftor, uh, the prophet section, is the first of a series of three Haftor of affliction. These three Haftor are read during the three weeks of mourning for Jerusalem between the fast of 17 Tamaz and 9th of Av. Jeremiah recounts how God appointed him as a prophet, despite his initial reluctance to accept the task, and tells of the encouragement God gave him to fulfill his crucial mission. He then describes two prophetic visions he was shown. The first featured an almond tree branch. God explained to Jeremiah that just like an almond tree is very quick to blossom, so too God will carry out his plan to punish the Jews for their sins in due haste. The second vision was that of a boiling pot, whose foam was directed northward. God explained that this was an allusion to the afflictions of the Jewish people would suffer at the hands of the people from the north of the Holy Land, namely Babylon. God will cause the kingdoms of the north to lay siege on Jerusalem and Judea, and he will pass judgment on the Jewish people due to their abandonment of God's ways and their idol worship. I would say to the whole nation of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes. God then encouraged Jeremiah to deliver the prophecy and not to fear the Jewish populace who would certainly not take kindly to such harsh words. The Torah ends with a reassuring, or reassuring prophecy to the people. Go and call out in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, So God, so said God, remember, I remember to you the loving kindness of your youth, the love of your Nupitos, uh, and your following me in the desert, in the land not sown. Israel is holy to God, the first of his grain. All who eat him shall be guilty. Evil shall befall them, says Lord, the Lord. And let's read this in Jeremiah. Let me just turn to it here. That's Jeremiah, the first chapter. Okay, what is going on here? Okay, here we go. My Comish English Bible out here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. These are the words of Jeremiah Hilkiah's son, who was one of the priests from Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. I'm reading this in the Common English Bible version. The Lord's word came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of Judah's king Josiah Ammon's son and throughout the rule of Judea's or Judah's kings Je, um, Jehoiakim Jehoiakim 
Josiah's son, until the fifth month of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, Josiah's son, when the people of Jerusalem was taken into exile. The Lord's word came to me, Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, so he's a prophet to the nations, not just to Israel, folks. Verse 6, Ah, Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a child. The Lord responded, Don't say I'm only a child. When I send you, you must go. When I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them because I'm with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I'm putting my words in your mouth. So all the words that Jeremiah wrote here uh, are God's words here. Verse 10, thus, or this very day, I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down and destroy and demolish to build and to plant. The Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah, and said, a branch of an almond tree. The Lord then said, you are right, for I am watching over my word until it is fulfilled. The Lord asked me again, what do you see? I said, a pot boiling over from the north. The Lord said, trouble will erupt from the north against the people of this land. I'm calling for all the tribes of great nations from the north, says the Lord, and they will set up their rulers by the entrance of Jerusalem on his walls and in every city of Judah. I will declare my judgment against them for evil, for abandoning me. Yeah, in this context, he's talking about the Jews here. So the Habad commentary is right there. Worshipping other gods and trusting in the works of their hands, but you must prepare for battle because Jeremiah was living in the context of uh, the tribe of Judah, uh, being destroyed in 586 B.C., and they were uh, the kingdom of Judah. Verse 17, But you must prepare for battle and be ready to other every word I command you. Don't be frightened before them, or I will frighten you before them. Today I have made you an armed city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the entire land of kings of Judah, his princes, his priests, and all his people. They will attack you, but they won't defeat you, because I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And he was. I mean, he was persecuted and attacked. Boy, uh, but he, uh, I think he was thrown in some sewage, right? And and he he was protected though. So you know, just like God allowed me to have a broken wrist, I mean, he he doesn't. Uh, and by the way, is is fully healed now. I went to the doctor and uh, I saw a little titanium plate alloy in there, and but it's totally healed. So God chose to heal me through titanium alloy metal. Uh, with assistance from it anyway, and he created that. So, you know, if he wants me to have that in my body, so be it. So, But um, let's continue on with this. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord's word came to me, Go and proclaim to the people of Jerusalem, the Lord proclaims. I remember your first love, your devotion as a young bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in an up-planet land, and, and let's just get, okay, God has a wife. He doesn't have a husband, okay? So the Bible states in Ephesians 5, verse 1, that we must be imitators of God, right? So if God has a wife, and we know figuratively who his wife is, okay, but he addresses his his companion as a female to, to help us understand that that's what he wants. He wants us to have relationships, close, intimate relationships with the opposite sex. Okay? So I'm just making that point. God calls Israel his wife. Well, you know, 
we're supposed to be imitators of God, right? He's directing us to that institution of marriage, right? Well, that's that's the way we ought to think as well. All right, but anyway, uh, I'm just I'm just trying to make this as clear as I can because I tell you our politicians aren't, and unfortunately our ministers, um, I don't think uh, they are making it clear either, where people can understand that that's wrong. So I have to do it, and I hope other people follow my example, and I hope there's other people out there preaching like I am about this, about the uh, ridiculousness and the other pervertedness of homosexuality. Now, Jeremiah 2, yeah, let me read the the rest of that uh, verse, a couple of verses there. Complete English, I mean, not the complete, common English Bible. Um, I remember your first love, your devotion as a young bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and in unplanted land. Israel was devoted to the Lord, the early produce of the harvest. Whoever ate from it became guilty. Disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. So that's the rest of that. Now, let's go to these uh, in, the, in the final, um, how much time I have left here? Final. Uh, 40 minutes here. I can, I'll have plenty of time here to go over the uh, Renewed Covenant scriptures here. So, oh, what I wanted to do also, I wanted to go over some significant uh, Tanakh scriptures. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9. Let's turn there. You know, our attitude about riches should be this. This is in the Bible. If you have a problem with this, argue with God about it. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9. Fraud and lies keep far from me. And what have we heard recently about the uh, Murdoch situation? Looks like there's a bunch of fraud involved in that. What about the Bernie Madoch or the uh, uh, situation with the... with uh, that Jew and he he robbed people and so forth and then Rupert Murdoch Murdoch I think that's how you pronounce his last name a big rich tycoon news media executive obviously there's been a lot of fraud in his company and and people he sold you a lot of people got fired or or resigned from their positions and but the Bible tells us to avoid all that fraud and lies keep far from me don't give me either poverty or wealth which means that Fraud and lies, in many cases, is in the context of uh, being wealthy. It says, don't give me either poverty or wealth. Just give me, it says, don't give me either poverty or wealth. Give me just the food I need. That's an excellent translation, again, from the Common English Bible, the new one that's coming out in September. is already online, should you want to review it, at www.commonenglishbible.com. Verse 9, or I'll be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I'll be poor and still and dishonor my God's name. And see, this is important because most people are like that. I mean, when you start making money, uh, God, uh, what, what is that? That's a foreign concept, you know. When, you, when you're making a lot of money and all your needs are taken care of and you're fat and full, it's easy to forget God. That's why, you know, he, he's very hesitant, especially with believers, to 
to give them a lot because he knows that if he does that, a lot of believers will forget God and won't do what they're supposed to do, which is to worship him and honor him and uh, obey him to the best of their ability. Okay, so... And then in verse 14, I know the King James Version says there's a generation, but uh, Proverbs 30, verse 14, There are those whose teeth are swords, their jaw is a butcher's knife, ready to devour the needy from the earth and the poor from humanity. And that's that's the type of society we live in today, folks. 26,000 children will die today because of lack of food worldwide. That's how many September 11th? Divide 3,000 into 26,000, that's um, uh, about 8 eight September 11s a day happen worldwide. So, you know, you know, we, we, and that's just, there's poverty all over the place, folks. Uh, and in our country, we almost have, well, not almost, but uh, I think we have about 43, uh, 43 million people right now, as I'm speaking, don't have enough food to eat and their own food stamps, and they need to go to the food banks. And, and the richest country in the world, right? They would only cost us $20 billion, that's what it would be, $20 billion to eliminate poverty in this country. But we're not willing to, to do that. But yet here we are fighting about increasing the debt ceiling. We ought to be fighting about these people that don't have jobs, that want to work, that have the desire to work, that are on food stamps to get them off. That's we ought to be developing a program for that if we truly care about the poverty in this country and people not having what they need. Um, that's why I hate politics. It's just a bunch of hypocrisy and people just, I don't know, just being hypocrites in most cases. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 7. Let's turn to that scripture. Proverbs 22 says, The wealthy rule over the poor. A borrower is a slave to the lender. And we are a slave to the other countries that we owe money from, folks. And eventually that's going to really destroy this nation. Uh, the wealthy rule over the poor. Well, that kind of explains the problem in a nutshell. Uh, the people that operate the Federal Reserve Banks are rich. Bernanke is rich. Many of the politicians that we vote for are rich. Obama's rich. Uh, they're ruling over us. Nothing wrong with that if they're righteous. They're making right decisions, but the rule is oppressive, as the Bible prophesied. That's one of the reasons why the Messiah is going to come back, because of the oppression of the poor. Okay? Hold your place. I'm going to prove this to you. Let's turn to Malachi. Malachi. Chapter 3.
starting in verse 1, and I'm going to skip to another verse. Look, I am sending my messenger who will clear the path before me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his people. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He is like the refiner's fire, utter um, cleaner's soap. I'll read, I'll read the whole thing here. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in ancient days and in former years, proving that the, the sacrifices and offerings will be reinstituted. Verse 5, Now, I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those swearing falsely, against those who cheat the day laborers out of their wages. Socioeconomics as well as oppress the widow and the orphan, and against those who brush aside the foreigner and do not revere me. Okay? So that's a reason also why he's coming back, to eliminate oppression. What is oppression? People suffering unnecessarily. That's what oppression is. They're, they're going through too much that they can't handle. And that, unfortunately... It's a condition that's going to get far worse before it gets any better in this country and around the world. Okay, um, Exodus, this is what the situation should be, folks, not only in this country, but worldwide. Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. This is in the book of the law, the Torah. Um, I've read an article by this church that we used to attend or whatever used to attend. I'm not going to give a name, but they were very wrong. They didn't quote these scriptures that proves that God does not want the rich to have too much and the poor to have too little. Okay? He wants equality, financial equality. He doesn't want to have people acting like the rich fool, and I'm going to talk about that too uh, today. But, you know, you have to be very careful when you're reading religious articles, folks. And you you have to really study the Bible, and you have to understand the key scriptures to each topic that they're talking about. And they were talking about capitalism. And the gist of the article, article yes, the wrong use of socialism is wrong. But socialism, its principle, is for rich people to help poor people. Now, is that a biblical principle? Yes, it is. I'm going to prove it to you. It's out of the Bible. God even inspired Paul to command rich people to share their possessions and to distribute. That's a commandment. So that part of socialism is correct. That the rich should give to the poor. So anyway, uh, Exodus 16, verse 18. But when they measured it out by the omer, the ones who had collected more had nothing left over, and the ones who had collected less had no shortage. Everyone collected just as much as they could eat. And that's the way society should be, folks. Uh, just like I read to you 
um, the desire for a righteous man in Proverbs 30 not to be rich or poor. Well, God has that desire as a community. Everyone should have everything equally as far as resources and, and, and the things that they need to survive. Okay? Uh, someone should not, not have more, so much food that they don't know what to do with. Okay? And then someone should not have so less food that they're starving. We're talking about basic resources. I'm not talking about abilities and talents. We're going to all be awarded according to that. I'm talking about basic resources of life. There should not be any kind of uh, uh, inequality in reference to that, that, as there is in this country and around the world. Okay, um, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12, starting. I'm still reading in this excellent translation here because I don't see no reason not to continue to read from it. <laughs> it's a pretty good translation. Timothy chapter 6. It says, Actually, Godliness is a great source of profit when it's combined with being happy with what you already have. That's an excellent translation. We didn't bring anything into the world, and so we can't take anything out of it. We'll be happy with food and clothing. So we should be happy, and King James says content, but we'll be happy with food and clothing. I think that's a better translation. We'll be happy. What? The verse, Sheree, I'm talking to my wife here, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. Okay, started with verse 6. We'll be happy with food and clothing. And we should be happy with food and clothing, folks. If you got that, what are you moping about, which you don't have? Anyway, but people who are trying to get rich, here we go. But people who are trying to get rich fall into temptation. They are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I know other translations say the love of money is a root of all evil. Okay? It says, Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. Money, folks, is not your goal in life. Please realize that. Verse 11, but as for you, man of God, if you are a man or woman of God, run away from all these things. You should run away from trying to be rich. I don't want to be rich. I just like to be well off. I don't want to be rich or poor. I just like to have uh, enough money to pay my bills and a little money left over so I can help other people. That's not rich. But as for you, man of God, run away from all these things. Instead, pursue righteousness. What's righteousness? Uh, Psalm 119, verse 172, keeping the commandments. Holy living. Holy means to be set apart. Faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Okay? Endurance. A lot of Christians don't understand that, or if they do, they don't want to endure. This life is about enduring suffering and tribulation and problems. If you can't do that, you're not going to make it. Verse 12, competes in the good fight of faith, grab hold of eternal life, 
You were called to it, and you made a good confession of it in the presence of many witnesses. Okay, so I want to go down here and focus on another scripture here. Verses 17 and 19 of the same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Tell the people who are rich at this time not to become egotistical and not to place their hope on their finances, which unfortunately many people, many rich people do, which are uncertain. Instead, they need to hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in the good things they do. That's what he wants you to be rich in, rich folks, to be generous and to share with others. Verse 19. When they do these things, they will save a treasure for themselves that is a good foundation for the future. That way, they can take hold of what is truly life. So that's what God envisions for rich people to do, is to share their possessions. And I know that many rich people aren't. That's the reason why there's people, especially in this country, we've got the most billionaires in the world. That's why you have millions of people on food stamps right now. And million people don't have jobs. Shouldn't be that way. If rich people did their part. Uh, Luke chapter nineteen, verses one and two. So this is uh, one of my favorite here <clears throat> stories. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. All right, so this is interesting. This guy is a tax collector. So this is the context of, in the context of taxes, which right now they're, they're chewing each other about that. You know, the uh, Republican Party, of course, Hates to be taxed. They're rich folks. Republicans are rich, and they don't want to be taxed. And the Republicans, uh, Democrats, of course, they want to tax the rich and don't want to tax the poor. Okay. And this guy was a tax collector, and he was rich. Now let's let's go to um, verses eight to nine of this chapter. Luke chapter nineteen, verses eight to nine. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Lord, look, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Oh, he gives half. This guy is a tax collector, and he's rich, right? And he gives half of his possessions to the poor. Now, did uh, Christ inspire Luke to say the poor gives half their possessions to the rich? That's what's going on in this country, though. That's what Republicans want, obviously. You know, they don't want to be taxed. They don't want to give more. They should give more because they have more. Zacchaeus didn't have a problem with that. And, you know, Christ didn't have a problem with him doing that either, as I'm going to read to you. Look, Lord, I give half of my, that's 50% of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Then... 
Jesus probably almost passed out when he heard that because he said, today salvation has come to this household because he too is the son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and save the lost. That's what he calls himself, the human one. So, you know, Republicans, uh, if there's any Republicans uh, listening to this, uh, and if you're rich, and if you can, he desires for you to give half of your possessions to the poor, according to this scripture. It wouldn't be there unless that's something that God would love for you to do. All right? So, you know, Obama is right about that, that rich should should contribute to the burden. I mean, look, the rich aren't suffering. The rich got everything, basically. Okay, They, they, they don't have any socioeconomic problems. They don't worry about paying their bills, most rich people, okay? Especially these billionaires, like, uh, what's his name, um, Donald Trump. Well, not, well, Donald Trump is not, well, he's not as, <laughs> no, uh, Warren Buffett, yeah. He's much more rich than Donald Trump. And then also um, Bill Gates, even though I do hear that they're giving some of their money, you know, which is good, that's great, but but there needs to be more. It means more billionaires need to be doing. They need to follow their example and give more of their money. And if they did, we wouldn't have the, the financial problems we have in this country socioeconomically as far as people not having enough to eat, not having proper jobs and so forth. There should be a comprehensive program the Obama administration should create, uh, number one, that would help people who truly prove that they want to help themselves. Okay? To get them on their own two feet, not to make them rich, and certainly not to make them poor, but to make them financially responsible so they can help other people. Okay? It should be a program to eliminate poverty in this country. If there's any country that can do that, it's us. We have the resources. Okay? We do have the, the resources to do it. But as far as I know, there's no politician with power or record uh, uh, of uh, any type of notoriety or recognition to initiate a program like that. I don't know if there's anyone in Congress that's even thinking this way. Be honest with you. All right, so then Luke chapter 12, let's turn there. This is the parable of the rich fool. And remember now, Christ stated in, I think it's in Matthew uh, chapter I think 17 or 19, I think one of those chapters, uh, where he had mentioned that uh, it's so difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He compared it to a camel. Yeah, it's in Matthew chapter 19, he, uh, verse 24. I'm going to read this in the King James. He says, and again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Not that it's impossible, but it's, it's almost impossible. That's what he's saying. You know, so, you know, people need to preach to rich folks. They need a preaching, I tell you. They really need a message. They really do. I mean, they have a great responsibility. And I can tell you that rich people aren't given enough in this country, and worldwide, for that matter. And that's why we have tremendous poverty around the world. If they were, we wouldn't have it. I read you a prophecy, and it is a prophecy. In Proverbs 30, verse 14, there, there are people that devour the, the poor off the face of the earth. You know? So you can't get away get away from that. Uh, poverty 
is caused by that. For Too many people got too much stuff, and they're not sharing it. It's not an equality, and that shouldn't be the case. And you know, Then you had these ones, well, I should enjoy the fruits of my labor. Yeah, you should enjoy your fruits of your labor like Abraham did, but what did Abraham do? He shared his stuff. He hired people, and he shared his possessions with people, and that's what made him truly happy. But you're not going to be happy acting like a rich fool. Let me uh, read this scripture here in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Jesus said to him, watch and guard yourself against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. This is in the uh, Common English Bible, New Translation. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. That's a very, very good translation. Again, verse 16. Let me just repeat that. That's important. Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Verse 16, then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. And you can ter- interpret this today in 21st century vernacular and terminology, bank accounts. Okay? Investments. Verse 18, then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns or bank accounts and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. And he was not thinking once about sharing his extra grain and goods, or in today's context, in the 21st century, extra monies with someone else. Okay? Now, I know some Rich people, a lot of rich people selfishly give because they're going to get a tax write-off. But they don't give because they just want to give. They just want to, okay, well, what is it going to be in it for me? You know, how am I going to be able to write off? It's like Bill Gates wrote a letter back to me. Uh, I was asking for help. And he said, well, i got to be a 501c3 organization so he can write off in his taxes saying that he gave to a nonprofit organization. Okay. So so it was nice that he wrote me back, though. He was the only rich folk that ever wrote me back, so I have to give him credit. At least he had enough decency to write me back and let me know that he, he received my letter and that uh, he couldn't help me. So I give him that much credit. But anyway, um, verse 17, he said to himself, What will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. And he thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. Verse 19, I say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods or plenty of money, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. The sins of Sodom. Right there. Okay? Don't care about nobody but myself. One of the major sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they did not want to take care of the poor. And this is right here in this verse. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. That's what we do as Americans. Take it easy, eat, drink, enjoy yourself, see our movies, see our Harry Potter. Although that Captain America movie is pretty good, though. Uh, You know, that's what we want to do. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool. I'm not calling you a fool. God is calling you a fool. Okay, I'm just speaking the words. 
if, if you have this attitude, God calls each and every one of us fools. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now, who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? Because he certainly didn't prepare for some other people, right? For himself. Now, verse 21. This is the moral to the story or the parable. This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. And we have too many people in this country and around the world that are doing that, particularly in this country, this country that has the most billionaires of all the countries around the world, especially our politicians. They're all rich and, and all that, and they can give more, but they don't. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 to 15. Like I tell my son, life is about giving. It's not about taking. It's not about that. You know, know, it's it's just not about that. And once you start thinking it's about that, then you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And I tell not only my son, I tell other people that who want to listen. My son listens, you know. Other people, I don't know. I don't know if they listen or not. But anyway, um, it isn't that we want others to have financial ease and you and you financial difficulties. That's in the common English Bible version again. It isn't that we want others to have financial ease and you financial difficulties. That's the problem. In this country, you have people that have financial ease, Bernanke, right, all these other folks, the rich, okay? And you have many people in this country, and I mean many people, that have financial difficulties. God does not want one one side having financial ease and another side having financial difficulties. That's a dichotomy that he does not want, okay? Dichotomy, two different or extreme opposite situations, okay? But it's a matter of equality. Equality is when you don't have that. Everyone has what they need to survive, okay? Verse 14, at the present moment, your surplus can fill their deficit. Deficit, oh, yeah, this is what we're talking about today, the deficit, right? At the present moment, your surplus can fill their deficit so that in the future, their surplus can fill your deficit. In this way, there is equality. And then this is a verse that I quoted from Exodus 16, verse 18. As it is written, the one who gathered more didn't have too much, and the one who gathered less didn't have too little. That is the equality, the financial equality law that should be applied, not only in this country, but around the world. And if we have that there would not be any poverty at all. God does He does not like poverty, and when the Messiah comes back, He's going to eliminate poverty for those who want to obey Him. Because those who don't, then yeah, they're going to suffer. But those who want to obey Him, He does not desire for you to, to be in poverty. The reason why I said for those who don't want uh, who want to obey Him, because there's in Zechariah chapter fourteen. Uh, for those who don't want to, to celebrate his holy days, in particular the Sukkot or Festival of Tabernacles, he's not going to allow rain. To uh, he's not going to allow rain in their country, 
or where they live at. So that's going to cause some poverty, right? But but if you get with the program and do what he tells you to do, you won't be poor. You'll have enough for your needs when he comes back, when the Messiah comes back. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44, 44 to 47. says, all the believers were united and shared everything. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to share everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. And that's God's picture of a peaceful society, folks. I don't care what anyone tries to say, oh, this, that's the way it was then. That's not the way it's supposed to be now. That's bullcrap. No, God wants us to share. That's what Christian living is all about, true Christian living. Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Here's another example. People call this socialism. Well, this is the right way of socialism. It's the way it's supposed to be. Um, there were no needy persons among them. Okay? <laughs> That's a very powerful scripture right there, folks, in the common English version. God does not desire for anybody to be needy of basic necessities. Food and clothes and shelter. Enough money to live. Livable income. No, everyone should have livable income. Livable income is not wealthy income. It's livable income, income that you can pay all your bills and you have a little surplus to be able to help other people. That's livable income, folks. God desires for everyone to help one another. There was no needy persons among them. That's his desire. Those who own properties or houses would sell them bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. That's the kind of attitude we ought to have today. Verse 36, Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that is, one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned the field, sold it, and bought the money, and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Now, these rich folks obviously had it to give. And they were following the example of Zacchaeus. They were uh, following the example that, that God commands rich people do, is share their possessions with other people. How dare people say that's not what we should supposed to be doing, especially if you're rich. They don't know what the crap they're talking about. Hebrews 13. Let's turn there called knowing the scriptures and a lot of these folks who claim they know it don't know it they don't know it at all Hebrews 13 verse 5 states in the, in the common English Bible your way of life should be free from the love of money 
It should be free from the love of money. And you should be content with what you have. That's what Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, folks. And so what I want to uh, quote here in verse 15 of Hebrews 13 in the Common English Bible Version. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which is the fruit from our lips, and confess, confess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. And that's what the sacrifices alluded to, point two. Not just symbolic of the sacrifice of the Messiah, but also the sacrifices and offerings should influence us to give and share our possessions with other people because that's what they did. They gave a lamb or they gave a bull to be sacrificed and share it with the priest and the aroma to be shared with God. God liked the sweet aroma of a, a lamb being burnt up. Okay? God wants to, us to give to him as well. And when we give to him, we're giving to other people. But God also wants us to share our possessions. And it ought to hurt a little bit, too, when we do it. It should, you know, we give something, it should be like, dang, that's something I wanted, but a desire, but I gave it to someone else. You know, it should hurt a little bit. You know? And and uh, it certainly hurt God to give his son, didn't it, for all of mankind. That really hurt him. And I'm sure he cried. I don't have to ask him. He didn't like to see his son get the crap beat out of him like he did and die on the cross like that. And we should be willing to give even if it hurts us. That's that's what that's what a sacrifice is. And a lot of rich people aren't willing to sacrifice like that. And that's why we're having a lot of problems here in this country. Financial problems. Finally, this one scripture says it all. Luke chapter six. Verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. That's a commandment to the rich and to the poor. More so for the rich than the poor, because the rich can give more. Give, and it will be given to you. This is in the Common English Bible Version. A good portion, packed down, firmly shaken and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. Okay? So that's a commandment that we all must follow. If you don't give, you ain't going to get nothing according to what God says. You may get something, but that something is not going to guide and lead you into eternal life. Guide and, and um, lead you, I should say, to eternal life. So that's something that we, we must remember, folks. And uh, there's another scripture that I wanted to quote, too, in James, since we have some time left, two minutes here. Uh, I wanted to quote this last week, but I couldn't. But it, it's really, it really kind of sums up what's going on here in this country. Now, the epistle of James, which, by the way, James was the uh, brother of uh, Jesus, is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel. And I've mentioned many times the 12 tribes of Israel is geographically today, geographically today the United States, Britain, Canada. 
the countries in Northwestern Europe, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, okay, Canada. And if you don't you don't believe what I'm telling you, and then of course the little nation of Israel, uh, because the little nation of Israel is just the tribe of Judah. There's twelve tribes, as Genesis chapter forty nine reveals. Go to www.britam b r i t a m dot org www dot b as in boy r i t a m dot org for secular and religious proof. Now, one minute and thirty four seconds. Let me read this as quickly as I can. James five verse one: A prophecy. Pay attention, you wealthy people. So wealthy people, pay attention. Weep and mourn over the miseries coming upon you. And they are coming, folks. Your riches have rotted. Moths have destroyed your clothes. Your gold and silver has rusted, and the rust will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. Consider the treasure you have hoarded in the last days, in the 21st century. Listen, hear the cries of the wages of your field hands. These are the wages you stole from those who harvested your fields. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of heavenly forces. You have lived a self-satisfying life on this earth, a life of luxury. You have stuffed your hearts in preparation, I should say their stomachs too, in the preparation for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who doesn't oppose you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmer who waits patiently for the coming of rain in the fall and spring, looking forward to the precious fruit of the earth. You also must wait patiently, strengthening your resolve, your resolve, because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain about each other, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be judged. Lord, look, the judge is standing at the door. So, may God bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be available next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.